The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. It wasn't noticeable, like a ball dropping in Times Square, but this new year, an unprecedented number of books, films, art, and music entered the public domain. From the cerebral Igor Stravinsky's Octet for Wind Instruments to the danceable Charleston. From Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments to Charlie Chaplin's The Pilgrim. From Agatha Christie's The Murder on the Links to George Bernard Shaw's play St. Joan. Works published in 1923 lost their copyright protection. That means you're now free to republish, remake, or revise them without asking permission or paying. Joining me to discuss what's sometimes called Public Domain Day is intellectual property attorney Terrence Ross, a partner at Katten Rosenman. So, Terry, what are some of your favorites that rang in the new year by entering the public domain? This year, we have come into the public domain the cartoon character Felix the Cat. Bambi, the cartoon character Bambi, who was originally in an illustrated book, is now in the public domain. George Bernard Shaw's great play, St. Joan, is now in the public domain. Two really fabulous Agatha Christie novels, both featuring her detective, Hercule Perrault, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, one of the most acclaimed of her novels, and my personal favorite, Murder on the Links, are now both in the public domain. And every single year, we will see new ones come into the public domain on January 1st. So works published or performed for the first time in 1924 will come into the public domain next January 1st, January 1st, 2020. Works that were published in 1925 will come into the public domain on January 1st, 2021, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Explain why a year's worth of works from 1923 lost their copyrights this year. Well, June, about 20 years ago, in 1998, Congress passed what came to be known as the Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension Act of 1998. Copyrights in older works were essentially extended for 20 years. And I won't bore you with the math, but what it meant in practice was that any work that was published and copyrighted prior to January 1st, 2003 was in the public domain. However, any work that was published after January 1st, 1923 remained under copyright 
and essentially had a 20-year extra lease on its copyright life. That 20 years is up as of January 1st of the new year 2019. And so we see a large number of works published during the year 1923 coming into the public domain for the first time that arguably should have come out in the public domain 20 years ago, now finally getting into the public domain and becoming free and available for use. Since it's called the Sonny Bono Law, I assume it has something to do with California and Hollywood. Explain what happened there. Why did they decide to go against the idea of you know what copyright is for in the public domain and extend them? The genesis of this Copyright Term Extension Act was a problem that the Walt Disney Company had. Mickey Mouse, as a cartoon character, first appeared in the year 1928 in a short uh, film called Steamboat Willie. And the copyright on that character of Mickey Mouse was coming due. So Walt Disney, not waiting to the last minute, decided to start a campaign in Congress to gain a 20-year extension, not just for the Mickey Mouse copyright, but for all early 20th century copyrights. Now, at that time in 1998, you may recall Sonny Bono had been elected to Congress as a Republican congressman from the Palm Springs area of California. And by chance, he was the chairman of the Intellectual Property Subcommittee in the House of Representatives when this bill was first introduced. And during the course of the proceedings by which it was enacted into law, Sonny Bono was killed in a skiing accident. And the name of the act was quickly changed from the rather mundane-sounding Copyright Term Extension Act to the Sonny Bono Memorial Copyright Term Extension Act. He was a big proponent of it. But the genesis of the whole issue is really this need to protect Mickey Mouse But the benefit of that copyright term extension was extended to all works published after 1923, essentially buying them an extra 20 years of copyright protection. Now, let's talk about what this means. Can you remake, let's take the Ten Commandments, can you remake your own version of the film? Absolutely. One of the movies that is now in the public domain is Cecil B. DeMille's epic silent film, The Ten Commandments. This movie received an extra 20 years of protection. Now that protection has expired, and it's out there in the public domain. Anyone is free to use it, to use the characters in it, to use the situations, the plot. As you know, there is no dialogue because it was a silent movie. We'll only see silent movies coming out for the first three or four years, and then we will start seeing the early talky movies like The Jazz Singer with Al Jolson, coming into the public domain in 2026 or 27. So, Terry, suppose you take one of these and you add something new to it. Will that new part have a copyright? It can have a copyright. That would be referred to as a derivative work. But the copyright would only extend to whatever new material was added onto the original. If you added a brand new character to the Ten Commandments who was not in the original and is not a historical figure, that character could obtain copyright protection. 
Some people have expressed fears that losing copyright protections will lead to inferior editions with typos, for example, or derivative works that damage the integrity of the original or even use them in commercials for beers or cars. There's certainly a risk that you will see these sorts of uses. The key point here is that copyright is a right extended in the Constitution of the United States. It's very different than trademark law in that sense. It's a constitutionally based right. And the Constitution says that Congress may extend copyrights to works for a limited duration. So copyrights cannot, under the Constitution, be perpetual or even approach such a long period of time that pragmatically they are perpetual. And so there has to be an ending um, to copyright protection. There's the, the famous story about um, during the 1909 uh, revisions to the Copyright Act, Mark Twain testified on behalf of lengthening the copyright term. And he was asked by one of the senators, well, how long do you think a copyright should last? And he famously said, I think it should last through the lives of my children, but not into the lives of my grandchildren. And, and that has often guided policymakers that there should be this a limited term based in some form upon the life of the author. The problem we have in modern society is that authors are often corporate in nature, and people see a lot less reason to be giving away these extensions to corporations such as the Walt Disney Company as opposed to a Mark Twain. But that's why we see this risk that there is going to be unapproved copies going forward, and that's going to be allowed by the law, unauthorized, unapproved copies. The benefit to society is that those works will be a lot cheaper. If you look at the works of Shakespeare or Charles Dickens, both of which are in the public domain for a long time now, um, they are relatively inexpensive to buy at a Barnes & Noble or online at Amazon. If you look at copyrighted works, you're always paying a premium. And as these works come out into the public domain, the cost for them to be owned by the public will come down dramatically. And the judgment has been made by Congress that that trade-off lower cost for acquisition of the works by the public versus perhaps some inaccuracies, perhaps some um, vulgar derivative works, that that is a, a trade-off that the Congress is willing to accept. And I guess when you look back, you mentioned Charles Dickens and Shakespeare. There have been derivative works, and they haven't done damage to the originals. Well, that's true. There was a famous one recently, what is commonly referred to as a mashup in which a classic work is given some new touch, and it was Pride and Prejudice um, with the appearance of zombies. And Pride and Prejudice has been in the public domain for quite some time. And th there was some criticism of that at the time that it took a classic piece of English literature and reduced it in a vulgar way. However, there was also a lot of very positive criticism that came out about that, the creativity of introducing zombies into a Victorian novel. There are films that are more recent that are talking films which are in the public domain, like uh, It's a Wonderful Life. How did that end up in the public domain? So It's a Wonderful Life story is very complicated from a copyright point of view. It was, at the time it was released under the 1909 Copyright Act, which provided for an initial copyright term of 28 years plus a renewal of 28 years. Whoever had the rights at the time of renewal, failed to properly renew the copyright, and therefore it was asserted that 
it had come out into the public domain. As a result of legislation subsequent to that point in time, there was the opportunity for such works to repair their renewal problems. And the owner of the copyright in It's Wonderful Life purportedly undertook to do that and began to assert copyright ownership again. So that's why for a period of time, it seemed like everybody at Christmas time was running It's a Wonderful Life on television, every channel without any consistency. You once again now only see it being run on one authorized channel. And apparently it was not a big hit when it first came out, but when it went into the public domain, it became a big hit. So who knows what we'll see going forward. That's Terrence Ross, a partner at Cat and Rosenman. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce.